So I've got my coffee, I've got my water, uh, and I've got a problem. And so I'm just going to do a meditation on meditation. And and the reason the reason that I'm doing this is because this is something that I've not figured out. I've not figured out as someone who is at my age, at my life stage, living uh, what I do with the different responsibilities I have, what is the ideal and right way to meditate? And while I know what different psychotherapies would be indicated for what condition and when to apply them and what kinds of skills, I don't know the full neurobiology, neurochemistry, nomenclature, uh, strategies, steps for all those kinds of uh, things. So I'm going to tell a couple of stories where somewhere woven in are going to be what I did when I was 18 to meditate, uh, first, second, third wave psychotherapies, um, the Bhagavad Gita and meditation, um, maybe a little bit about uh, yoga nidra or non-REM sleep, uh, uh, and maybe a little bit about uh, hypnosis. And I'll also share the time I spent about 12 to 14 weeks doing a daily mindfulness practice during uh, covid and the hope is that by talking about this problem and grappling with this problem, I'll be able to come up with some steps down the road. So in maybe a month or two months or three months time, not only would I be able to share with all of you a menu, ingredients and recipe for different ways to meditate with different goals, but hopefully I'll have been to a few restaurants where I've actually experienced the, the dinners uh, and I can really describe what they're like for you. So back when I was 18, I don't know how this started. I suspect it's released to my parents in uh, some kind of a way. Uh, whenever we'd have birthdays, I'd always get like uh, self-help books, like how to organize uh, your, your life, uh, seven habits of highly effective at people. And I can't remember any specific book on meditation, but I suspect there was uh, one there as well. Uh, because I know that when they asked me um, in my med school interview how you deal with stress, all I had to do was think about what I actually did. And something happened back then uh, between the ages of 18 and 21 where I decided that sitting down and meditating for 30 minutes or an hour was not for me. Doing a proper yoga session was not for me. Uh, some of those Kriya yogas where your back is straight was not for me. Uh, but what was for me was I would go to the gym two to three times a week. I would uh, have a friend that I would meet there. Uh, and then what I would do is when I was doing a specific activity, uh, bench press, curls, squats, whatever it might be, uh, I would be focused fully and completely on that task. So I was not regretting the past. I was not worried about the future. I was just fully present in the uh, moment. Uh, as I started to go through med school, as I started to dabble in uh, neuroscience a little bit, uh, as I uh, started to get exposed to different uh, psychotherapies, it became quite clear that all of these Eastern philosophies were slowly permeating into the Western world and the Western literature and the Western science and the Western imaging and the Western uh, psychotherapies. Um, you all may know that first wave psychotherapies is really about behaviorism. So that's like Pavlov and Skinner. Uh, Skinner is the one where he uh, trained uh, pigeons to uh, peck on uh, food and uh, 
and maybe some other things with uh, pigeons, but really, really characterize that salivation response. Uh, Pavlov had it so that he went a step further where he could train a, a dog so that when the dog heard the bell, the mouth would salivate without even seeing the uh, food. Uh, and with the first wave psychotherapies that were more behavioral, what was very clear is nobody cared what the animal or the person thought. They felt that with the right level of incentives, punishments, rewards, withholding rewards, uh, you could shape any kind of behavior, it didn't matter what you think. The wave of psychotherapy that's really taken over North America in the last, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, is cognitive behavior therapy. And that's very different, right? Because that's almost like that, I think, therefore I am. It really is about, you know, your thoughts are accurate or inaccurate, uh, and you have to balance them out. You have to make them more accurate. Then you change the way you think, change the way you feel, change the way you act, change what you feel and your sensations are. And it's all about those thoughts. The third wave ones are the ones that I find quite fascinating and quite relevant to, to what I'm talking about uh, today. Uh, and for me, it also, they all remind me of the, the Bhagavad Gita. And the Bhagavad Gita is an old um, Indian uh, story, uh, mythology or truth, depending on who you uh, talk to. And in that story, they have the hero uh, Arjun, who's a phenomenal archer. And he's standing there at war, right? Right before the war. And he's looking at about a hundred of his cousins. And he has to go to war with them. And he's just paralyzed by uh, anxiety and uh, stress. And, and while, while, while the whole story is more, much more nuanced and depth, I mean, people spend their lifetime uh, trying to understand that, that work. Uh, one of the key messages has to do with meditation. And in, in that kind of meditation, it's more about using the mind's eye and focusing on something in the distance. And, and then there's one chapter where it describes in detail the beauty of the cosmos, almost like this zooming out for the cosmos. And by fully seeing and appreciating where you are in that cosmos, it's just the state of awe and, and the state of uh, beauty uh, that really shifts how things are. There's other things there in there too. Each chapter has its own uh, theme. Um, but the reason I bring it up is that with these third wave psychotherapies, you have people like Stephen Hayes who developed acceptance commitment therapy. Uh, you have people like um, Marshall Linehan who did dialectical behavior therapy. You have people like John Kabat-Zinn uh, who did mindfulness. You have Daniel Siegel who initially had mindfulness but it had already been taken by John Kabat-Zinn so he calls uh, his therapy uh, something else. But you have all these scientists, psychologists, psychotherapists, uh, sometimes they're all combined. And what they've all done is they've gone to some ashram, Buddhist monastery, some kind of temple. And, and what they've done is they fully immerse themselves in that way of being, in that way of living. And then they've taken the part, the experiential part that had meaning for them, and they've embedded it into this uh, psycho psychotherapy. And uh, these therapies are quite effective. A lot of them are transdiagnostic. So when you look at acceptance commitment therapy, when you look at dialectal behavior therapy, it's not just the original condition it was intended for. It helps sort of a lot uh, more uh, than, than just that. And for, for me, I've, I've been just trying to get it, and I just don't get it because there's all these different kinds of meditations, right? And with the, the Bhagavad Gita, it was all sort of about that uh, direction, you know, where we're going sort of thing. And when, when COVID came around, you know, um, what happened for me was that my day shifted from uh, traveling uh, an hour to a hospital, uh, working in the hospital, walking around all the different floors, uh, driving home, and then spending time with the family. It, it evolved 
evolved to 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. in a room. I was in a room with a small window. I was staring at a computer screen. And, and pretty much what I was doing was I would see a patient, do a note, see a patient, do a note, see a patient, do a note, and then notes, edits, notes, edits, notes, edits. And then I'd get out at 7 p.m. And then after about three months of COVID, my wife pulled me aside and she's like, look, you know, when you, when you leave that room before you come and hang out with her family, I need you to do something. I need you to go for a walk. You're just, <laughs> you're just a little bit on the irritable uh, side. And so being proactive, like uh, I sometimes am, although um, sometimes I'm not. Um, and so being proactive, like I was, uh, at, at that time, uh, I reached out to the uh, OMA. I checked and see who their psychologists were. And I got a book on mindfulness, uh, for, um, uh, depression, anxiety. Uh, and, uh, I actually paid for a psychologist out of pocket to go through eight, 10 sessions in the book. And, and it was a very different, um, experience for me. Uh, and even though I've guided people through different mindfulness, uh, exercises, I had my own form of meditation that I would do when I was younger, uh, it was a different experience. And so, um, I pretty much went through the, the workbook, uh, I would do the 10 to 40 minutes to an hour of daily uh, homework with it. It, uh, increased in time as the weeks, uh, went on. Uh, and what I found was that by week two or three, I started to be able to slightly get into a different state. And by week six to eight, I really was able to get the most out of that sitting meditation. I love doing that sitting meditation. And the sitting meditation was fascinating because unlike Arjun with that mind's eye and the destination that he was aiming for, uh, and unlike uh, Arjun in that scene where he just sees the entire cosmos and, and he just appreciates everything and there's such awe such awe at uh, the way the world uh, is, uh, this mindfulness thing was more about sensory awareness. And that sitting meditation made me in tune with my feet, my toes, my calf muscles, my skin, my hearing, my eyes, my uh, tongue, uh, my back, my neck, all of those kinds of things. And what I found was that the more that I did, especially by week 10 to 12, when, when I would leave the office uh, and finish my clinical day, whatever stuff had stayed with me in my body during those 10, 12 hours, um, I was just more aware of and more present with it. And then what I found was that when I would spend time with my wife and my kids, now all of a sudden I could be more uh, more present uh, there. And in fact, you know, when I'm working with the patients, I'll tell them this uh, story uh, because uh, while there's different ways of knowing, uh, knowing different things, uh, there's uh, also something to be said for fully experiencing, living it, uh, and embodying it. Uh, and I think I did a previous uh, podcast uh, on uh, just a tribute to Huberman. I think Huberman has this uh, thing that he says, you know, you brush your teeth every day, you know, you shower every day. Why don't you clean and reset your mind uh, every day uh, as well? And and so with with this uh, this in mind, um, I'm just brought back to this scientist, uh, I think a cognitive scientist, although I don't know exactly how you describe what he does because it's so unique. There's this guy, uh, John Verveke at uh, U of T. Uh, and I remember going through his mindfulness or this meaning course that he had online. And I can only do about 10, 10 episodes or so because the way that he thinks, it's so precise, you know. Um, one thing that stayed with me, it was the first time why um, I had a frame or what it is the first time I had a clear framework for how you could have all these people on Twitter or on YouTube, on the internet or in person yelling at each other saying this is what the truth is and there's just no uh, dialogue. 
And he has this fascinating thing where he talks about seven different ways of, of knowing. Uh, one is more um, uh, uh, propositional, uh, which he says is more like the real world, like a dog is a mammal. Uh, one is uh, more procedural, uh, and he has all these explanations for it. And then he has five other types of uh, knowing. Uh, and he also has a framework for meditation as well. And so in his framework for meditation, uh, and uh, during COVID, he posted a full course online that I've not gone through uh, yet. Uh, in his framework for meditation, he thinks there's three types of meditation. And you, ideally, you want to find a way that you can embody all three. And so what are those three types, right? So the first type is sensory. And the metaphor that he uses is your glasses, right? So you'll have glasses where you're looking at the world, um, but if you don't clean your glasses, if you don't know what's on your glasses, you don't know if they're blue tint, black tint, uh, red tint, whatever it might be. Maybe it's psychological where you're looking at the world through a positive lens or a negative lens. If you don't know what that tint is, if you don't clean them, if you don't have an awareness, uh, you're not going to be able to fully perceive the world because you perceive the world through those uh, glasses. And he describes the first kind of medita meditation sensory. And he has very, very specific steps on how you start, complete, finish, go back, how you build up the skill, all those kinds of things. And it's really just this awareness of uh, the senses. And that reminds me a lot of the mindfulness. Uh, the mindfulness uh, thing that I uh, took uh, around one of those workbooks where it's more about being present in your body. The second way that he talks about, and I think the word is contemplative, uh, but I'll put the actual word in the uh, description. And that's where he talks about you start with yourself, and then you expand to your room, then you expand to your city, then you expand to the world, then you expand to the cosmos. And there's a very, very specific way to do it step by step by step by step. And also, if you have symptoms of whatever psychosis or something else, you should not be uh, continuing with it. Or if you have certain unusual experiences, you should not be uh, continuing with it. Uh, and then almost to the point where you perceive yourself in the frame of the entire world or universe and all of a sudden you start to look at yourself uh, differently. And then the third way uh, for meditation is more about embodying, right? Movement. And I don't know whether, whether he said Tao or Tai Chi, but we'll include the link there. But he really talks about movement and the body and trying to create the uh, flow state. There's two other kinds of meditative like uh, experience that I need to figure out a little bit more as well. So one is Yoga Nidra, where I started this course. It's this a uh, non-sleep um, uh, type of uh, restorative, uh, non-REM restorative uh, sleep. And the other one is a hypnosis where uh, you can train your mind or other people's minds to get into different uh, states. And then you can bring out certain uh, energies or beliefs or stuff uh, in them uh, in terms of what's already there. But it's a bit more, more nuanced and we may do a separate session on that. So, so in summary, I talked about how I used to meditate when I was young and 21. I decided this was the way that I was going to do it. I noticed this infiltration of Eastern philosophy into Western science, Western medicine, Western ways of uh, living. And, and I also noticed that a lot of these psychologists, scientists had been to different places in uh, India, in uh, Nepal, in, in other places, uh, Tibet, and they'd brought back some of these ancient practices and embedded them into different uh, psychotherapies. And a lot of these third wave psychotherapies really incorporate some kind of mindfulness-like um, uh, experience. Uh, John Verveke also has this uh, very interesting ways of knowing that I haven't even begun to, to dive deep to uh, and get 
um, talks about three ways of uh, meditation. Uh, there's the yoga nidra, and then there's also um, hypnosis that I want to be able to try to understand and compare and uh, contrast. There's this other thing where Verveke is uh, starting up this course on wisdom. And so he's starting on this course on trying to create a post-Socrates kind of discussion to create that wisdom uh, state as well. And so while I don't know how all these different things are linked, I know there's a lot of truth in all of these different methodologies. And, and my hope would be over the next month or two, um, maybe, maybe longer, because it seems like it's going to be a lot of work, um, I'll be able to start to understand these different forms of meditation or these altered states. Um, I'll know um, what would be indicated for what and when. I'll have some idea what happens um, uh, at the neuroscience level, but also at the psychological level and also what the procedural steps are. Uh, and I'll also have some idea of what kind of impact you can expect from uh, each of these. And, and while this is quite... Um, a large thing to even contemplate and sort of figure out. I, I know it's something that I've been seeking for a long time because there's so many parallels and so many nuanced differences and so many different things in these these practices. Uh, and, and I would love to be able to help myself, help my colleagues, help my patients, help my family, um, help the world, or if someone's figured out it out already, learn from them and then share that with the world about how these things uh, go together. So thanks for listening. And if any of you have any tips or suggestions on meditation, what to try, what to do, uh, please uh, let us uh, know. And hopefully I'll be back here in a couple of months uh, with an update. Thank you. Mm -hmm.